Well, good morning. As Hal said, my name is Matt Seipel. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing through a sermon series that we just started a couple weeks ago on uh, the book of Hebrews. We'll be looking at the first half of chapter two this morning. Um, If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, I did want to just mention to you that this is the first of several uh, warning passages uh, in the book of Hebrews. I believe there are five different um, warning passages. And what I've noticed is that there's a tendency uh, with some Christians, maybe maybe even with with many Christians, uh, to get a little bit nervous uh, when we get uh, to the warning passages. So what I want us to see is that these warnings are are for our good. Uh, The reason you warn someone is because you care about them, right? You You don't warn your enemies. You warn people that you don't want to face the danger that you're telling them about. And it's obvious that our writer here uh, really cares uh, for his audience. And so what that means is he does not want them to freak out. Um, I'm sure some of you have had the experience of riding through the mountains. And so you can imagine that you are on a road and maybe it's a little narrower than you'd like it to be. And you've got a, a sheer rock wall to one side that you can't see the top of, and on the other side you can see the tops of trees. And out in front of you, uh, you see a sign that says, sharp curve ahead. Well, it would not be appropriate for everyone in the car to scream at the top of their lungs, we're all going to die when they see the sign up ahead, right? What you do is you obey the sign. Uh, You keep driving, you focus your attention on the road, You make the curve and you keep going. It's not that the warning uh, isn't serious. It really will be a problem for you if you drive off the edge of the mountain, uh, but that it's for your good. You're supposed to just stay on the road. So keep that in mind as we read our passage. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, um, it's printed for you there in your bulletin. Uh, This is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray now that you would bless it uh, to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Um, when I was in high school, uh, some people would have said uh, that, I was, that I was a good student. Um, I was able to figure out what I needed to do to keep the teachers happy and to keep my, my parents happy. Uh, but what I learned is that I could pretty much do that uh, without really paying a lot of attention. So that's what I did. Uh, I only read two books in high school in four years. I learned to sleep sitting up in French class. Um, the reason I did that is because there were other things that I wanted to pay attention to. A lot of, a lot of other things. Um, the reason that anyone gives their attention to something is because in some, some form it helps them either to get what they want or they believe it's going to help them to get uh, where they're going. Uh, you're all, you're here this, this morning. You've signed up for worship. Or ho- I hope you signed up. You're supposed to be signing up. Uh, you signed up to come to worship during COVID-19. You probably have some desire to pay attention to what's said this morning. But what about the rest of the week? Uh, what, is it, what is it that we're giving our attention to? Well, it's already been mentioned um, in these past few weeks, but Hebrews is written to a group of sufferers. Um, it's not exactly clear what they might be suffering from. It's possibly uh, some form of perse- persecution. Uh, but they were doing uh, what sufferers do, and that is they were looking for some kind of way to ease the pain. Uh, when you're suffering, it can be incredibly difficult to think about anything else. I know that when I'm sick, I'm, I'm not thinking about you all. I'm just thinking about how I don't want to be sick um, anymore. That's in the background of the whole letter, but in particular uh, with this passage. Um, right here, two of the major themes of the letter um, really first show up. Um, one of those is the warning against apostasy that we've already talked about, and the other is the humanity of the Son of God. And what we learn here is that the real way to avoid drifting is that we are to pay close attention to Jesus. And though it's only mentioned explicitly in the first verse, this whole passage is about paying attention to Jesus. So it's good for us to ask again, what is it? What are we giving our attention to? We must pay close attention uh, to him. Uh, What the writer lays out for us here is first a motivation to pay attention. In fact, what he tells us is that it's dangerous not to pay attention to Jesus. And secondly, he's just very explicit that there is a person to whom we are to give our attention. It is the God who became man uh, for our sake. So there's a motivation, and then we'll see the person to whom we're to pay attention. So first, we're given uh, a severe uh, motivation uh, to pay attention. Uh, He gives us uh, this reason. He says because it's actually dangerous for us not to. In verse 1, it's very straightforward. We must pay attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Uh, What we've heard 
is what chapter 1 was all about, specifically the beginning of chapter 1, that God in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. This final word from God includes all that he has said to the Son and through the Son and about the Son. What we have heard is the gospel of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. The chapter ends telling us this is the salvation that we inherit. And the writer wants us to see that if we don't pay close attention, we are at risk of drifting away from it. Or to say it the other way, uh, when people drift away from salvation, it's rooted in their lack of attention to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been uh, floating. This is where you get in some kind of inflatable boat or inner tube and you start at one end of the river and you just enjoy the ride. You let the current uh, take you uh, to the other end. That's very relaxing, very enjoyable. A big reason that it's fun is that you just don't have to do anything. Uh, You can enjoy the whole ride uh, without ever really uh, lifting a finger. And the writer here is not warning the Hebrews about some active pursuit of another religion or some other philosophy. What he's saying is that drifting is imperceptible and they're in danger of just floating away. So why do people, why do people float away? Why do they drift? Well, in part, it's because they're tired of paddling, uh, weariness, presses on us, um, especially when it lasts a long time. It it pushes us to look for some kind of way out. And this world uh, gives us plenty of reasons uh, to be tired. Uh, We can grow tired just of having to believe uh, what we can't see. You can grow tired of striving for obedience while you watch other people just follow their instincts. And they seem to be doing just fine. You may, you may just be tired of the church. Tired of the scandals that you hear about. Um, tired of the responses that you hear to racial reconciliation or the lack of responses that you hear to racial unrest. Tired of how the church is dealing with the pandemic. You can grow tired of just being looked down on of being associated uh, with people that just have outdated views on so many things. I mean, have you ever said out loud or maybe even just said to yourself, I mean, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Christians. You might be getting tired of the church. Or you might think you're just not in danger of drifting at all. You, you go to church. You go to a good, solid, uh, evangelical church. Well, the writer is not concerned here that we agree with a certain set of beliefs. He is concerned that we presently pay active attention to Jesus. He's not asking if we can affirm the statement of faith on the church website. But what are we giving our attention to? And so he goes on to spell out this warning in verses 2 through 4. 
And just to summarize it, what, what he's doing in those verses is he's comparing what the angels delivered in the Old Testament with this final word of God's Son. He's extending that argument of chapter 1, that since Christ is greater than the angels, well, of course, his message is also greater. And if their message was true and severe, then how much more will God's final word be both trustworthy but also dangerous to ignore? You see, to disregard this final word is to deny the Son's authority to proclaim it. Now, I know that it's somewhat uh, unfashionable uh, to be serious about anything. It might seem sort of dreadful to you to be seen as someone uh, who actually took things uh, too seriously. And, you know, there is a way that somebody can be overly serious, particularly if they take themselves uh, too seriously. But what will you take seriously in your life if not this message of Christ who made purification for sins and now sits at the right hand of the Father, as we confessed earlier, will come to judge the living and the dead and one day all his enemies will be under his feet. I mean, is anything more serious? We live in a world where commitment to anything specific, especially if it's old, especially if it places demands on you, is looked down on, is seen as backward or somehow kind of uncultured and openness is prized over loyalty and wisdom. But Christ really does demand that you give your attention to him. This question, how shall we escape, in verse 3, of course, is a rhetorical question. If you don't believe that there is any judgment from God, I, I probably won't be able to convince you of that this morning. But let me just say it plainly. What he's saying is if you spurn the message of Jesus Christ, you will not escape the judgment of God. If you drive through the sign at the edge of the cliff, you won't make it back up. That salvation is not psychological, but a real deliverance from judgment. We must not neglect God's final word in his son. We're to pay attention to him. Now, when you get to verse 5, it, it, could, it could almost seem like the writer is, is changing the subject here, but I actually think 5 through 9 give us the real key to not drifting, and that is that there is a person to whom we pay attention. That is, it's not, a, not an idea that we pay attention to. It, it's not just that we get to have a clear conscience, but Jesus himself as a person. If we pay attention to him, what we find is that his love, uh, it is not just mere good intention, but it is God in action toward his people. And so he gives us another uh, Old Testament quotation, this time from Psalm 8. It's the psalm we read earlier in the service. And what the writer wants to show is how, how, how that psalm applies both to humanity, but also to Jesus uh, in particular. So if you see there, this question in verse 6, what is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, it's meant to express wonder at the kindness of 
of God uh, toward humanity. And we see in verses 7 and 8 that man was made for a little while lower than the angels and also crowned with glory and honor and everything has been made subject to him. Now, if you know your Old Testament, and it should be clear to you by now that this audience certainly knew uh, their Old Testament, well, then these things might have you thinking of Genesis 1. That's where we find out that man was made in God's image. Something that's never said about the angels. Uh, That man was given dominion uh, over the earth. He's given a vocation to subdue the earth for God. But then he he starts to interpret here. And in the second half of verse 8, he says, At present, we do not yet see everything in in subjection to him. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, an old uh, castle. You've had a chance to visit one or even if you've just seen one um, on the internet or something like that. Maybe a 600-year-old castle or a 1,000-year-old castle. There's something about um, maybe just the size or or the shape of these buildings or maybe the history and and the kinds of things you can imagine that might have taken place there. They give you a sense of this former glory of this building. And at the same time, you're looking at a building that's likely empty. Um, It's probably broken in some places. It might even be beginning uh, to kind of crumble. And it's certainly not what it used to be. Well, ever since the fall, uh, this commission given to Adam has not really been working out very well. And so we can, still see, we can still see glimpses of what was intended uh, for man. I, I really think today, especially technology, uh, can give us the impression uh, that we can actually control everything. But we still can't control ourselves. The Bible teaches that apart from Christ, it's actually man who is subject to sin and to death. And so the dominion that man is meant to have uh, is lost. But as the writer goes on to explain this psalm, he points out something interesting. He says, we don't see everything subject to him yet. In other words, Psalm 8 is not a description of the way things are right now, but it is prospective. It's telling us Uh, the way things are supposed to be and the way that they will be. And how is that going to happen? Well, what do we see? He says we see him. That is, we see Jesus. And verse 9 unfolds for us how Jesus is the fulfillment of what Psalm 8 pointed to, that he too was made a little while lower than the angels. In other words, God, the son who made the world and will put all his enemies under his feet. This God was born of a woman, despised uh, by men, the very people that he came to save. As one, one writer put it, no one ever spit on an angel. But now he is crowned with glory 
with honor. He's presently enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. And because of his death, he says, because of his death, which is for us, he has glory. Glory is the Son's reward for all his obedience to the Father and his love for us. And so in solidarity with humanity, he took on the death that we deserved. And Adam's failure, which is our failure, his failure to achieve that vocation of loving and obedient dominion over the world, it is met. That failure is met by God's grace to send a second Adam. And so all this kind of lofty talk can end up just sounding like, like so much noise, um, like church talk, if we don't pay close attention. Now, learning to give our attention to Jesus is something we have to practice. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness is something that's it's cultivated over, over a lifetime and so let me end with just, just a few ways to help us keep our attention on Jesus. Uh, the first way, and I almost don't want to tell you because it just seems so simple and you can almost get tired of hearing it, uh, but we need to pray. Uh, prayer is basic to walking with Jesus. Uh, We need to pray. We need to set aside time for it. We need to have those regular reminders of our dependence on him. You see, when we pray, we practice believing. And prayer, is it's actually not, it it can be therapeutic, but it's not fundamentally uh, therapeutic. And what you will find is that it is often very hard. I, I know prayer is, It is hard for me. Sometimes when I pray, God can feel even more absent. But it's in prayer that we learn to cry out to him, not to drift, not to drift. And so we need to pray. The second thing, I think we need to make commitments We need to look for ways uh, to sacrifice. Uh, There's a way that giving up something can actually kind of enliven you and and awaken you to the person that you want to give yourself to. It's like a a cold shower. Now, we don't don't believe at Redeemer that we need to be performing for God to try to get him to like us. And if you don't pray as often as you like or as you think you should. That's not some kind of unforgivable sin. But you know what? What if if you decided you just wanted to be the kind of person who would never miss an opportunity to worship? And so you were always at church, no matter what. What if you just decided you wanted to be the kind of person who read his Bible every day, no matter what was going on, not not to earn God's favor, but because you want to know him? 
The last thing I want for Redeemer Presbyterian is that we would be a group of people who go through all the right religious motions. I want us to be people who make it count, who make commitments. That's the opposite of drifting. So the last thing, the third thing, uh, the most important thing, is we just need to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, I know there's all different degrees and, and kinds of suffering in this room. We don't always know why that suffering is happening. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we never know. Uh, but the cross, the cross teaches us that even in our suffering, God is for us. It is the proof that whatever our problems are, they are not rooted in a God who is indifferent or somehow unable to help. For all that we don't know, what we certainly know is that God is good and he has already done the greatest thing in sending his son. He sent his son to die to restore us to a place of honor in the world to come. And in his resurrection, Christ conquered death. He conquered our great enemy. His present exaltation is the promise that death will not win, that sin and Satan will not win, that our suffering will be overcome, that the power of death has already been defeated, we need to remember and to meditate on his death and resurrection. Uh, when you feel the pain of living in a fallen world, you can trust that Jesus Christ has suffered more, uh, that his death was for you, and that in his resurrection you have the promise that he will bring you with him. Let's pray. God, I know that we are all prone uh, to distraction. For a thousand reasons, we, we give our attention to other things. And so we pray that this morning and this week and this year that your spirit would work in us to give us New desires, God, that we would set our love on you above all things. That we would over and over again uh, turn away from our sin and, and turn to you, not only, not only for forgiveness, but because uh, we're learning to find you um, altogether lovely. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.